Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. We are in week four of this Get It Together series, and it's all about the one another's of the New Testament. And um, today we're talking about encouragement and confession. And you remember from last week, the Greek term for one another is alelone, and that doesn't mean all alone, because Genesis tells us it's not good that man should be alone, and that's why God made a helpmeet for Adam. Uh, We were meant to be in relationships. And the whole idea of one another is that we're all individuals. We're all different. We're all unique. We're all special. But we have so many things in common. We need to do life together. The every day. We need to do it together in community. And as we do life together, well, we grow closer with one another. We grow deeper in relationships. And it's this reciprocal pronoun. I gave that picture of the saw. One man pushing, one man pulling. Then one man pulling, the other man pushing. It's also kind of like this boomerang. I didn't really know boomerangs worked until I tried an authentic boomerang. They're pretty cool. You should give it a go. You can try this one sometime if you want. I got it from my dad. I don't know if you can read right there. It says made in Australia. I don't know if this is an authentic boomerang or not. And I don't know if the weather is such that I can get outside and show you. If you look out the window, it's kind of a a whiteout out there. All you can see is white. Um, but we might give that a try. But what does a boomerang do? You throw a boomerang, and apparently it's supposed to come back to you. It's like this one another. You know, I give and you take. You give and I take. I act and react. I speak, you listen. You speak, I listen. It's this back and forth. No man is an island. We're, We're meant to be in relationships. So confess and encourage. (laughs) I wonder which one you're more excited about. I assume most people would find encouragement most encouraging, right? I mean, confession can be a dirty word. You think of the crime show where the investigator, you know, he's got the light in the suspect's face. Maybe it's good cop, bad cop, and he's yelling, Ah, just confess. You know you did it. We can do this the hard way or the easy way. Confess. I'm not into crime dramas. Maybe you can tell. Is that what they're like? I don't know. But what if I told you that confession and encouragement can happen simultaneously? Maybe they're more similar than they are different. Okay, so here's a helpful note for today's message. Every passage we're going to be looking at today is written in the context of religious persecution, racism, political oppression. It's it's not this comfortable time for the church by any means. And the conversation turns to alelone, the one another's. You see, the season where life is rough, we tend to get so selfish, don't we? Like when I'm hurting, I tend to forget that other people are hurting too. When I'm hungry, (laughs) I get hangry, I forget that there are two million kids in Canada that spend most of their days hungry. You know, when life is hard, we tend to be selfish, but James and Paul, who we're going to be reading from today, they draw our attention away from ourselves and onto one another. When life's hard, we need to think about one another. Okay, on to the book of James. James is such a good practical book. Uh, This is Jesus' younger brother, half-brother, I guess you could say. James only mentions Jesus' name twice in the whole book. 
In chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. And then he finishes the chapter by saying, Don't just hear the word, do it which I'm always concerned about on Sunday, that we just sit and listen and we never practically apply and work out what we're learning. Chapter 2 of James, don't be partial against your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Look, you can't have faith unless it's working itself out in your actions in the everyday. And then James chapter 3, look, we just need to write down James chapter 3 and read it and reread it and read it every time you make a post on Facebook. Read James chapter 3 first because it's all about words. It's all about what you say. What you say matters. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Like the little rudder on a ship, it steers the whole vessel. It's so powerful. And then chapter 4. You can't just mimic the world. Don't give in to your desires. Don't just do what everybody else is doing. Don't just do what feels good. Instead, submit yourself to God under his will. And like Jesus said, not my will be done, but his will be done. And then chapter 5, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Don't pull other people down in an effort to promote yourself. It's not about selfish gain. If the rich man takes all of the grain from the field for himself, who cares for the vulnerable and the marginalized in society? James says, be patient in suffering. And I want you to hear this. Get this picture. The judge is standing at the door. The day of the Lord is near. What if we lived with that perspective? Just like Job. I mean, this guy is suffering. And instead of wallowing in self-pity or fighting for his place, he makes every decision, every word, every action as if the judge is standing at the door and he gives his plea to the judge. What if we lived that way? You know, I don't, I don't care what comments people put on your Facebook post. What does God think about that Facebook post? What is God going to say when you stand before him and you talk about the, the decisions you've made? The judge is standing at the door. What if we lived with that perspective? And then in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, here's what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I love these responses. You got private prayer, praise, community prayer, faith. How do we make these things our first response instead of our last resort? When we suffer, when we're sick, is our first thought to pray? To pray with our faith family? Or does our first response look a little more like, hey Google, what do these symptoms mean? Or we do a little recommendations post on Facebook, how do you help whatever? You know, you go to the drugstore, maybe you call your mom. How do we maintain this perspective that the judge is at the door? You know who else the judge is? Well, he's the great physician. He's the healer. He's the creator. He's the giver of life. Now, I want you to picture it like this. I don't know if you're afraid of heights at all, but let's say you're up somewhere really high, like, like really high, like way off the ground, and all of a sudden a branch breaks, and you think you're going to fall. So 
what do you do? You instinctively reach out for something you think is going to hold you and you grab a hold of it. So you reach out and grab the nearest branch and you cling to it for dear life because you don't want to fall. So when you feel yourself slip, when you feel yourself fall, sickness, struggle, suffering, what do you grab for first? Do you grab for your phone? <laughs> or do you reach for Jesus? Do you call out Siri? Or do you call out Savior? Let's talk about prayer healing. You know, I know people who've experienced miraculous healing. And I know people who've been praying to God to make a way for them in their physical body for years and there hasn't been any change. So what's the difference? You know, prayer healing is so often misunderstood. It's misused. Sometimes it's totally neglected or avoided. We just don't talk about that. So let me speak to it for a second. First of all, can God heal? Yes. You just need to ask the lame man, ask the blind, ask the mute, ask the deaf, ask the leper. And then is any physical, mental, emotional, spiritual ailment, is there anyone that's too big for God? Is there any problem that's too big for God? Well, of course, no, there isn't. Just ask the demoniac of the Gadarenes. Ask Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus cast seven demons out of. Just ask Jairus, whose daughter was dead. Now, will God heal anything we want each time we ask? No, of course not. We know that from experience. But is it because we don't have enough faith? <laughs> I've heard some people say that, but I don't think that's necessarily true. I think the Apostle Paul had a ton of faith when he prayed and pleaded with God three times to have that thorn in his side removed. He pleaded with God and God said, My strength is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I've been through the uh, Youth Alpha video series a couple times and I love the way that they talk about this. Jason Ballard, who's one of the presenters, he's a pastor and a church leader in British Columbia. He says this, We don't know if God will answer the prayer for healing or not. We hope he will, but that's not our decision. We just need to pray. There's no reason not to pray. Why wouldn't we pray for healing? So, let's pray for God's healing. But let's not think our prognosis trumps His. Because, you see, God knows the whole story. We just know a part. He knows what we need. And healing may or may not be part of our story. Maybe our ailment, maybe our sickness, our weakness, our setback. Maybe it's a space for his grace. And he has it there on purpose. Fanny Crosby is probably a name that you've heard before if you've ever opened a hymnal in a church pew. She wrote more than 9,000 hymns and she was blind. She was blind after just six weeks old. And there was this uh, well-meaning preacher who made a comment about her blindness that it was a great pity that God didn't give her her sight. And Fanny Crosby responded with this. Here's what she said. Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because, she said, when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Okay, a couple other thoughts because I think this sets up our main point. Anointing oil. I've never anointed someone with oil and prayed over them as a pastor. I've prayed over lots of people, laid my hands on people. 
but I have used baby oil on my kids. I've used beard oil on my face, my hair. There are medicinal benefits to oil and potentially that's an aspect of what James is referring to. And I just want to say modern medicine can be a huge aspect of God's grace towards us. And then calling the elders of the church. Albert Barnes points out that this is not necessarily a direct reference to the office of elder in the church, like pastors, elders, maybe the board, maybe the staff. But instead, a better application might be those who are spiritually mature in the church. People who can lead you to God in prayer in your struggle. Maybe it's your life group leader. Maybe it's your mentor. Maybe it's your friend who sits next to you on Sundays in the service, or maybe they meet with you on Tuesday mornings. Call them. You need to call them. Because if you don't call them, they can't really help your situation unless you inform them and invite them in. Now, that part is tough for me. I've got to be honest. And I think it's tough for a lot of men. Maybe some women too. But I find it really difficult to admit when something's wrong. To admit to myself when there's a problem, when I'm sick, when I'm hurt, when I'm mentally drained. I find it tough to admit those things. And that's... That's likely directly related to my stubborn pride. But how are people supposed to help? How are they supposed to pray? How are they supposed to encourage you unless you admit that you're struggling? James 5.16, our first key passage. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then James gives the example to illustrate that power of prayer of Elijah. He says, Elijah prayed and the rain stopped for three days. And then Elijah prayed again and the rain started. Isn't that crazy? The power of prayer. So confess, pray, and be healed one to another. And not only is this like a Christian community, a church family practice, a discipline, this is how we actually receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We confess our sins. We admit our need for his sacrifice in our place. We pray. We call out on the name of the Lord to be saved, to be forgiven. And then we are healed. We're restored. We're brought into the family of God. Confession is critical to salvation because if we don't admit our problem, if we don't confess our sin, we can't see our need for a Savior and invite Him in. If we don't have a need, we don't need a Savior. But we need to confess and admit our sin. But sometimes it goes like this. You ever have someone offer to help you and you quickly respond with, Nah, that's fine. We're good. Thanks anyway, but I've got it. No worries. I appreciate it though. Thank you, but I got it. But in reality, you really could have used that help. I mean, what is that? Why do we do that? For me, a lot of the time, it's just plain pride. I don't want to admit to someone that I can't do something on my own. It's stubbornness, especially if I'm the leader. You know, the one who's supposed to know, the one who's supposed to be strong, the one who's supposed to have the answer to not give up, the spouse, the parent, the teacher, the boss. To confess your need can seem like giving up and admitting defeat instead of hanging in there and getting the job done. But the nature of the gospel is, I was dead. I was defeated. I was lost. I was hopeless. I had no life. I had no future, no purpose. 
And when I was eight years old at my parents' bedside, I admitted all of that. But for some reason, I keep tricking myself into thinking that, no, it's fine. I'm good. No, thanks anyway. I've got it. No worries. I appreciate it though. I've got it. That term confess, what is it all about? Well, it's the Greek term eximologio. It comes from ek or ex, which is where we get our word exit from. It means to release what's on the inside, to let it out. And then homu, which means the same, and lago, which means to speak. It's, it's the opposite of pretending. It's not bottling something up inside and putting on a smile, a masquerade. It's letting out how you truly feel and what you're thinking on the inside and verbalizing it. Putting it into actual words, stating it, declaring it, really actually physically saying it. That's confession. Do you ever say something like, oh, when I actually say it out loud, it just sounds so silly. Or maybe you say something like, you know, it just feels so good to finally say that out loud, to finally get that off my chest. Speaking what you're thinking and feeling in the presence of a trusted sister or brother in Christ is healing to the soul. On the other hand, secrets keep you sick. Sir Walter Scott from 1808, the great poet, he said, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. You ever tell a lie? Just to cover your tail and then you got to tell some more lies to cover that lie and then more lies to cover those lies and pretty soon you're a fake you're a phony you're not being real you're hiding you're trying to deceive that's not confession do you want real relationships a real christian community then we need to stop pretending we need to stop faking we need to stop hiding what we're really going through from our faith family we need to be honest. We need to confess. And then we come to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to make our second point today in encouragement. 1 Thessalonians. Paul and Timothy are writing to the church in Thessalonica. And in chapter 1, they say, Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your example to Christians everywhere. Do you realize that you are setting an example for the people around you? Chapter 2. He says, thank you for remembering our suffering, our hard work. We really want to see you again. Chapter 3, we knew we would suffer affliction. We knew suffering was part of this life. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But we're so glad that you are standing fast in the Lord. And then chapter 4, it's not about doing whatever you want. It's not about pleasing yourself. It's not about fighting for yourself. It's thinking about others. It's about loving others. All of these one another's, we keep drawing our attention back to others in times of suffering, in times of difficulty. And then Paul and Timothy say, we want you to be in the know. We don't want you to be unaware, uninformed. Jesus is coming back. Those who have died in Christ are with him. Resurrection, rapture, and so we will always be with the Lord. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage, it's the Greek term parakaleo. It means to come alongside, to call, to invite, to admonish. It's the idea of guiding someone's thoughts and attitudes. Like in John 14, Jesus says, I will pray to the Father. He will give you another helper, an advocate, a paraclete. 
The Paraclete is a title given to an ancient tugboat, an ancient ship that would come alongside larger ships and then guide the larger ship into safe harbor. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, close, not ahead of us, not behind us, not pushing us or pulling us, but alongside of us, walking with us to guide us to safe harbors. That's encouragement. The friend who helps you in your time of distress. The friend who comes alongside you and says, you know what? The Bible says this. Remember God's promises. Here's what God is calling us to do. And when times are really tough, it's the friend who comes alongside and says, remember Jesus is returning for his bride, the church. This is not our forever home, but we are just waiting for the next. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, You know the times and seasons. You know the day of the Lord is coming. It's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be like labor pains for a pregnant woman. You don't need to be in the dark. You've seen the light. Don't sleep your days away. Put on faith. Put on love. Put on the helmet of salvation. You are not destined for destruction, for wrath. Through Jesus, you're saved. He died for you so that you can live for him, so that you can live with him. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You know, we all have those days where we give into this victim mindset of, Woe is me. Life is hard. There's a terrible snowstorm outside the window and... How am I going to get through the day? I might as well give up. What am I really accomplishing? And we need a sister, we need a brother to come alongside us and remind us, hey, you're not a victim. Because of Christ, you are a conqueror. We have victory in Jesus. Remember, he died for you so that you can live for him. Encouragement and confession. We need to admit our shortcomings, but we need to be encouraged to step beyond them. We can't stay there. And if we never confess, how do people know that we need encouragement? If we're always walking around with a phony smile and pretending everything's okay. And if we never encourage our brothers or sisters and call them to the life that Jesus has for them, why would they feel compelled to be open and honest with us about their shortcomings? Do you see the reciprocal nature of these one another's? Do you know that my greatest encouragers in my life are the people that I have confessed and confided in? The people who know who I really am. I think it's all summed up in Hebrews chapter 3. And I love verses 12 and 13. It says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encouragement, confession. If we overlook our sin and in our pride we pretend we're fine, how can we be encouraged? If we're not calling our brothers and our sisters to the life that Jesus died to give us, why would we need to confess and admit that we're not living in his light? Craig Rochelle says this, Be yourself. People may admire you for your strengths, but they connect with you through your weaknesses. People may admire you for your strengths, 
but they connect with you through your weaknesses. You know, so often we think people will lose respect for us if we show them what really goes on in our head. Like what these hands have really done, if we're too real. But maybe the most encouraging thing you can do for someone is admit your faults and point them to the strong, forgiving love of Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about how good I can be or how hard I can try or how little I've messed up. It's all about Him. And the fact is, God demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At our weakest and lowest point, that's when Jesus died for us. It's not about our performance. It's all about Him. Would you join me as we pray? God, I want to thank you so much for your rich and everlasting love for us. Thank you that it was your love that brought you to the cross. Thank you that you submitted to the Father's will and you humbled yourself, even to death on a cross for us. God, while you were hanging on that tree, you carried the sins of all of humanity, past, present, and future. You bore them on yourself. Jesus, I admit my sin to you today. You know it. You've died for it. You've forgiven me time and time again when I've asked you. Jesus, I thank you for your death in my place. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness. Spirit, I thank you for your comfort, for your encouragement, for your guidance. God, I pray as a faith family that we would be willing and able and courageous enough to open up and tell people how we're really doing on the inside. That we would confess our sins to one another, not to everyone, not in a social media post, but that we would reach out and have a conversation with a trusted brother or sister in Christ. And we would be open and honest with them about our struggles and our shortcomings. And that, Father, as your word says, through that confession one to another, we may be healed. God, I pray that our relationships would be healed and restored. God, I pray that any time we've thought about pretending or being fake or phony, that, God, you would help us to be real and authentic. You would help us to be honest. That you would help us to live a life that, that pleases you. Father, I pray that you would encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ today. I don't know what this storm will bring. I don't know what this season will bring. I don't know where the pandemic is at or where the economy is headed. But I do know that there is coming the day of the Lord when you will call us home. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That we don't have to weep and grieve and mourn and sorrow and suffer as so many others who don't have hope. But we have an eternal hope, an everlasting hope. God, I pray that your invitation that you've extended to the whole world, God, I pray there would be those today that would receive your invitation, that they would confess their sins, that they would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. 
Father, I thank you for how you love us today. In Jesus' name, amen.